welcome to The Ralph Report with Ralph Garman. Hey there, boys and girls. Welcome to The Ralph Report for a Monday. It is April the 16th, which, as a quick aside, is my wedding anniversary. So a quick shout out to my lovely wife, Carrie, for 13 wonderful years of marriage. We were married on this day 13 years ago. And quite frankly, and by now you know if you're a listener to the uh, Ralph Report, and uh, you've been around the production of it at all, the, the, the business of getting it up and running, the, um, the contacts that she makes on my behalf, the, the way she runs our live stream chats, the way she gets back to you if there's a problem with the Patreon feed or with anything else, you know, literally, I could not do this without her. So uh, amongst the many things she does for me, keep my life running basically and also is an amazing mother to our beautiful little girl Olivia Um, she is a terrific partner as well as wife and woman and lady and I love her dearly so um, just giving a quick shout out to Mrs. G because uh, really she makes my everything I do in life possible so so do want to wish her a happy anniversary And as I mentioned, uh, she does run our live stream events. We did another one yesterday, so I do want to give another shout out to all the three and four star generals of the Garmy who are signed up and uh, who give me so much support in so many ways, but turned out in a big bad way yesterday when we had our live stream event and uh, so many of you were there asking questions and we were hanging out and we talked and it was really a good time. I had a blast. I hope you did too. So thanks to everybody who showed up for our live stream event. And during that event, I did mention the five four-star generals with whom I'll be having phone conversations this month. As you know, every month I pick five four-star generals at random, and then we set up a phone call, and I give you a, a, a call, and we talk. We chat about anything, about the show, about life, about Hollywood Babylon, about my old gig on the radio, whatever you want to talk about. I'm there for you. And uh, we did mention them yesterday on the live stream But I do want to announce them again. These four-star generals will be getting a call from me this month. Tim Dawson, Phil Sanfiorenzo, hope I'm saying that last name correctly. I think I am. Jody Parker, Jody with an I, Shane Marshall, and Lyndon Campbell. All five of you will be getting uh, emails sometime this week, and we're going to set something up that works with your schedule so it's not too big a pain in the ass. And then we'll hang out. We'll talk. We'll chat. We'll have a good time. Looking forward to that, because those have really gone well. We did five uh, last month. We did five in February, and people are great. I'm really enjoying it. I think it's more for me than it is for you guys, so thanks again. All right, great show coming up today. We've got my man, Jay Busby, talking sports. Some really fun stuff happening in the world of sports right now. Not so much in, the, uh, in my life, in the NHL. My beloved Philadelphia Flyers took it on the chin again yesterday from those uh, pesky Penguins. They are really the bane of my hockey existence. Thought we uh, had things figured out in Game 2, and then uh, the first period, which uh, I was doing the live stream event during the first period, so I had to DVR it and went back and watched it, and they were doing great. They were doing all the right things, just not scoring. And then uh, second and third periods got away from them. So it's just 2-1 in the series, but still, boy, Penguins are good. That's why they're the champs. So we'll be talking to my man Buzz about sports. Also, it is the first chapter of a new series of interviews this week. This week's guest is David Shore. If you know that name, then you know he is the genius writer-creator behind House MD. Also has a new series on the air that just got renewed for a second season called The Good Doctor. Long history of great great work from this guy and on top of it he's terrific and he's funny and he's a great interview and I think you're really going to like listening to him today. Speaking of interviews and of the great Garmy, I I was remiss last week by not giving a shout out to my boy Ernie Robles. Ernie came through for me in a big way last week. You may remember I did an interview with my friend Taylor Williamson, comedian Taylor Williamson and The quality, something went horribly wrong with the quality of that audio. 
I think we had a, a bad chord or something. Anyway, we got a lot of noise in that uh, audio. And it just so happened while I was working on it, literally, I got an email from Ernesto Robles, Ernie, who said, look, I'm an audio engineer. If you ever need any help, give me a shout. I'd be happy to help you out. And I was literally working on the audio, pulling my hair out, trying to, to, to get the distortion out of some of it. And I said, you know what? Funny you should mention. And I sent him the file. And within minutes, Ernie sent it back cleaned up and usable. So a big shout out to Ernie. Thanks so much, buddy. I really owe you. And I'm sorry I didn't uh, mention you last week. I meant to, had it written down in my notes, and I I just uh, slipped my mind. So thanks, Ernie. Thanks so much for that. All right. It is a Monday, so you know what that means. Every Monday, I like to let you know about the top five things that I learned this weekend. The top five things I learned this weekend. All right. We kick things off with number five. Number five. I am still a firm believer that the NHL playoffs are the best playoffs in professional sports. Watching again this weekend with my Flyers, but also watching the Golden Knights and the Kings game. It's just, it is excitement from beginning to end. And very few playoffs in any major sport can offer you that. And it's just my firm belief that the NHL playoffs are the best time of year. I just love it so much. So um, that was reinforced to me. I didn't quite learn it this weekend, but it certainly was reinforced to me this weekend. Number four. Number four is just when I think that the acting business has had an ass full of me and was refusing to let me do it anymore. Just when I thought it was out, they pulled me back in. Uh, Good news is I landed a, a little part, not a little part, it's a nice little part, in a pilot and I'll be shooting this week. So uh, when I find out how much I can talk about it, I will be telling you more about that. But I thought that was pretty good news, that I will be shooting a pilot this week for a TV show that we hope, of course, will go to series. So that would be pretty cool. But I'm telling you, just when I think, and that's really my favorite thing to do. I got I to gotta be honest. I mean, I love the Ralph Report. love doing Babylon with Kevin. I loved my work on the radio. Plenty of other stuff that I love doing. Love doing voiceover stuff. But acting was my first love. That's what got me into the entertainment business. And I still love to do it when someone's nice enough to let me play in their sandbox. So that was good news for me. Number three. Number three for me is I need to take a break from drinking. (laughs) It was a funny moment of realization over the weekend. Uh, Kevin and I went to Brea, California, which is, for those who don't know, it's about an hour south of Los Angeles in Orange County here in California. And we went down to do Hollywood Babylon Saturday night at the uh, Improv down there in Brea, California. And as luck would have it, or bad luck would have it, I, could, I couldn't find my way to get down there. I had to drive myself. And although I joke about it from time to time, the one thing I do not do when I am drinking is drive. I don't drink and drive at all. Don't have any drinks if I'm going to get behind the wheel. Just my policy. I think it's a good one. Um, so naturally, I did the show sober. And I didn't drink after the show. And I drove myself home. And I realized as I was driving that I couldn't remember the last night that I hadn't had a drink. Now, it doesn't mean I get hammered every night. But after the end of a long day, a glass of wine with the wife, maybe a dinner, cocktail to relax at the end of the day, I couldn't remember the last night that I didn't have alcohol. And that concerned me. Because here's my biggest fear always about drinking is that I get to a place where I need to drink, where I I have a drinking problem, and then I have to quit drinking. And I don't want to do that because I really enjoy drinking. So my fear is always that I will drink so much that I will be forced to have to give it up. And so that is always the motivating factor for me to keep myself in check. And this weekend, I learned that I I need to touch base with my sober side. So I'm going to go dry for a while. going to dry out. Couldn't hurt. Couldn't hurt my body to get a break from booze in general. So I didn't drink Saturday, and I didn't drink yesterday, and I'm not going to drink today. And uh, we'll see if, if, you know, I'm planning on taking the wife out for anniversary. So I, I, I don't know. I might have to have a cocktail or two or a glass of wine or two with her. But um, let's see what the rest of the week holds. I'm, I'm working. I'm doing the pilot thing, so it should be pretty easy. But it just struck me as odd that I couldn't remember the last night where alcohol didn't touch my lips. That was a little concerning. 
Number two. Number two is also concerning. Uh, I learned over the weekend that uh, recalls blow. Automotive recalls suck. And not so much because the, the car company is taking responsibility and stepping up and saying, we'll fix your car. It's because they let me drive my car as it was for so long without letting me know that I, it was a death machine. Ford reached out to me. You know, I drive the Mustang. I love my Mustang. Ford reached out to me and said, yeah, we need to uh, have your car come into the shop. We've got a recall we have to take care of. It's an airbag recall. And I said, well, that doesn't sound good. And then I looked at the paperwork. And here's what it says uh, under what is the issue. Here's what it says. The passenger airbag inflator in your vehicle may explode in the event of a crash that causes deployment of the passenger airbag. If an inflator explodes, sharp metal fragments could strike the passenger or other occupants causing serious injury or death. That seems to me to be the exact opposite of what an airbag should do. It is the very definition of a safety device that it should make you safer, not less safe. I shouldn't have to worry that my airbag is going to become some sort of grenade in which shrapnel will be shot into my face or my passenger's face when the airbag goes off. Those, those things all seem bad to me. But what really bothers me is my car is a 2007 Mustang. That means for 11 years I've been driving around with passengers facing a grenade in the dashboard that could go off in, if there was an accident and shoot, and I repeat, sharp metal fragments into their face. So good on Ford for reaching out and saying, yeah, we should, uh, we should replace that for you. Bad on Ford for letting me drive a death machine for 11 years. And I think I need a little something-something for my trouble. You know, Ford's a pretty big company. They make a good living. I think they should cut me a little check for the risk that I took and my passengers, more importantly, took for the past 11 years driving around the shrapnel machine. They should have a new car, the Ford Shrapnel. That should be their new car because apparently some cars will shoot metal fragments into your face. Number one. And number one is something I promised I'd do on Friday. Remember uh, Friday was Friday the 13th? And I said, why do people fear Friday the 13th. That's so stupid. And I said I was going to look into it. So uh, that's what I learned over the weekend is what the fuck is up with Friday the 13th. By the way, I got my recall notice on Friday the 13th. So maybe there's something to it that bad things happen on Friday the 13th. Um, thanks to many of you members of the Garmy who reached out via email at ralph at the ralphreport.com and via my hotline which is one eight three three hi ralph and you left many messages and many emails trying to explain to me the history behind people being afraid of Friday the 13th. Here's what I found. There are about as many explanations as there are members of the Garmy. Many people reached out with many different explanations. I myself, in doing the research, came up with about 13 different reasons why people are afraid of Friday the 13th. So I'm going to go through some of them for you. Many of you sent me a message or email saying it, it came down to the Templar Knights who were uh, hunted down on a Friday the 13th when they were found guilty of occult practices. They said that was the origin of Friday the 13th being unlucky. Well, I'll have you know that's just one take. Um, Friday and the number 13 are unlucky also in Norse mythology. The Vikings found it to be unlucky, Friday the 13th. Um, in 1907... There was an author named Thomas Lawson who released a book about Friday the 13th being unlucky. There was a book in 1869, a biography of Italian composer Rossini, who did the William Tell Overture. And his biographer said, like many other people, he was afraid of Friday the 13th and in fact died on Friday the 13th of November. So that put it into a lot of people's heads. Some people say it's because there are 13 knots in the hangman's noose. Some people said that there is a 13-foot drop of the guillotine, the French guillotine that would cut your head off, 13 feet between blade and neck. Some people say Christ and his 12 disciples made 13, and the next day after the Last Supper, he was crucified. That was a Friday. So Friday and 13, bad combination. 
Some people say that's because many serial killers have 13 letters in their names. Jack the Ripper, John Wayne Gacy, Charles Manson, Jeffrey Dahmer, Theodore Bundy. So as you can see, so many reasons why people are stupid. And that's what it comes down to. People are just stupid. Because there's no reason for anyone to be afraid of Friday the 13th, regardless of any of these reasonings. I didn't read one explanation that made a goddamn bit of sense as to why anybody would be concerned about Friday the 13th. So that's what I found out. That was the number one thing I found out this weekend. People are stupid. The top five things I learned this weekend. All right, with all that stuff out of the way, what do you say we take a look at all the entertainment news? It is a Monday. That means we take a look at the top ten movies at the box office. Want to see what people went to see in theaters over the weekend. No surprise here. Rampage, the new rock movie, came in at number one with $34.5 million. It knocked A Quiet Place down to number two, but it still made $32.6 million. Pretty good. Truth or Dare did pretty well for itself with $19 million. Came in at number three. Ready Player One. Big drop from number two to number four. $11.2 million made it four. Blockers was fifth. Black Panther was number six. Isle of Dogs moved up a little bit, made number seven from number ten last week. I Can Only Imagine was eighth. Tyler Perry's Acrimony and Chappaquiddick was the tenth movie at the box office this weekend. This is sad news. Huey Lewis has canceled all of his upcoming concerts. I always thought it would be awful to be a musician, And to lose your hearing, and that's just what's happening with Huey Lewis. Of of course, Huey Lewis and the News has uh, canceled all of his shows, made the announcement on social media on Friday, saying he can't hear well enough to sing anymore. He's got a disease called Meniere's disease, and apparently it makes the lower frequencies so distorted that he can't find the pitch of the notes he's supposed to sing. And so he has seen several doctors about this, and they have urged him to stay off the stage until his condition improves, and apparently it can. No uh, guarantees. He went on to say, I feel horrible about this and wish to sincerely apologize to all the fans. So he's going to concentrate on getting better, and he says, I hope that one day I'll be able to perform again. But that's going to be awful. If you're a musician and you, you lose your hearing, that's, uh, that's tough. Um, Apparently he was getting some medical treatment. There was a uh, prescription he was taking, but it wasn't working the way he wanted to. So he said, I want a new drug. (laughs) I'm sorry, I couldn't resist. I couldn't. Coachella's in the news. I I don't do a lot of Coachella news. I'm not a fan. I'm not into Coachella. It's not a big deal to me. The only uh, useful purpose for Coachella, in my opinion, is it uh, empties the city of Los Angeles of most of its douchebags for a weekend, which is nice. It's a nice break for the rest of us. But if you look at the people who show up at Coachella, it's the Jenners and Justin Bieber and uh, the Real Housewives of various cities. It's just, it's loaded up with douchebags. And so anything that gets them out of L.A. for a weekend is all right with me. But this was pretty cool. Beyonce, as you know, performed at Coachella on Saturday, and it was expected to be an extravaganza, and she didn't disappoint. She did many of her hits, including crazy in love and drunk in love and sloppy in love and silly in love and all her other hits Uh, jay-z her husband came out but then all shit broke loose because she brought out her former destiny's child bandmates kelly Rowland and michelle williams and they had a little destiny's child reunion there on stage and everybody went crazy so congratulations to everyone who was there to witness that but here's the thing Uh, beyonce seems to be a bit of a control freak her publicist sent out emails to all the news outlets telling them not to publish fan pictures of Beyonce's performance at Coachella. Stick to the approved shots of Saturday's show. Which, uh, boy, that's, that's, that's a control freak right there, right? You're trying to get people who are taking photos of you not to pass those photos around? Just use the ones I like? Yeah. That's, that's going to get tougher as she gets older. Because nobody, nobody looks good forever, Beyonce. So if you're worried about bad pictures now, when you're impossibly attractive, it's just going to get worse. Might want to let that one go. And here's some good news. Kanye West is working on a philosophy book. Thank God. How long have we been waiting 
to learn Kanye West's philosophy so we can be more like Kanye. The book is called Break the Simulation. And apparently he is uh, sharing his philosophy with us. Here's a little uh, quote. He says, I've got this philosophy. Or let's just say it's a concept because sometimes philosophy sounds too heavy-handed. No, I'm sure this won't be, Kanye. I've got a concept about photographs. And I'm on the fence about photographs. About human beings being obsessed with photographs. Because it takes you out of the now and transports you into the past or transports you into the future. Does it? Do you have pictures of yourself in the future, Kanye? Is that, is that a problem you have with your family? You're taking too many pictures of what happens in the future? Dumbass. And by the way, he's married to Kim Kardashian. And he's got questions about people who, who live too much for photographs? Nothing happens in her goddamn life if it's not photographed. So, if you have a philosophy book, pass it around at home. Let them read it first before you publish it. Here's also, by the way, what he said. He views his wife, Kim Kardashian, as a Marie Antoinette of our time. Although, actually, you know, Marie Antoinette was beheaded in France with the guillotine. So, actually, I'm quite all right with Kim Kardashian being the Marie Antoinette of our time. Well, I am glad to see this. Stan Lee finally standing up for himself and filing a lawsuit against one of his former business managers with allegations of elder abuse and fraud surrounding his fortune. He is suing his former business manager, Gerardo Olivares. He claims that um, after his wife Joan's death, this guy stepped in and found ways to line his own pockets with Stan's money, uh, fired Stan's longtime attorney, his banker, transferred $4.6 million out of Lee's bank account into his own, came up with some crazy schemes to make money off of Stan, including selling his blood, all kinds of things are in this uh, lawsuit that was filed on Friday in Los Angeles Superior Court. So we're hoping that this means uh, Stan is once again in control of his own affairs and able to get some help because uh, things were looking pretty grim there. But I'm hoping now this will turn things around for Stan and uh, that his health stays good. He's 95 years old. I'm not even so worried about the money. I'm worried about Stan taking care of himself. And this is sad news. WWE royalty has split up. Nikki Bella and John Cena. They were engaged, and they have called it quits after six years together. Here's their statement. They made it to to Us Weekly magazine. While this decision was a difficult one, we continue to have a great deal of love and respect for one another. Stop it. Stop with the celebrities telling us how much they love each other as they split up. We, We don't believe you. We know what it's like to break up with someone, and you don't love them so much that you split up. It's not the way it works. You split up when you've had an ass full of each other. Put that in your statement to Us Weekly magazine. This is a difficult decision, but we have had an ass full of each other. And so we're going to go our separate ways in order to be happy. For fuck's sake. Stop with this. We're, we're crazy about each other. We're, we love each other so much that we can't possibly stay together any longer. It's just too much love. Last month, John Cena did an interview with Us Weekly magazine about that their relationship and said, love is beautiful, but we've had to come to the realization after being together for five years that love is not easy. We work on us every day. We have problems just like everyone else. Some of our problems are very public. Some of them aren't, but we work every day on us. Anytime I get upset, I always just realize that I can't live without her. Yes, you can, John. Obviously, you can. Put that in the statement. I learned that I can live without her, and so I'm going to spend the rest of my life doing just that. And radio lost one of its more colorful characters over the weekend. I don't know if you guys knew Art Bell, but he passed away Friday in his Pahrump, Nevada home. He was, um, he was a unique cat. He had an AM talk show called Coast to Coast AM that was pretty popular in the 1990s. One about 500 stations in North America back in the 90s. But what he was was X-Files Radio. He was on in the middle of the night when most people were asleep, but truckers made him famous because they would love to drive long hauls listening to him in the middle of the night. And he would talk to the loons who believed in UFOs and government conspiracies and Area 51 and all the stuff that Mulder and Scully would chase. This guy would have people on who truly believed and he would stoke the fires of paranormal conspiracies. 
Now, I don't know whether the guy believed in himself or not. Some people said he did. Some people said it was one giant put on. But for the better part of two decades, he made this his career with um, conspiracies and supernatural stuff, including my personal favorite. From time to time, I would check in with him. And he had one of the great radio voices, one of those deep radio voices. I mean, it would hypnotize you in the middle of the night. I could see why truckers would like it. But um, he talked about the shadow people. The shadow people was always fascinating to me. He had a theory that, you know, sometimes you feel like you see something moving in the corner of your eye, your peripheral vision. Well, that was actually the shadow people who were moving around it all the time, but you can't see the shadow people straight on. That was the theory until one of his listeners let him know otherwise. We got the call, what, a week and a half ago, I said, something like that. And the person said, you know, Art, uh, not only do I see them from the corner of my eye, but I'm beginning to see what I call shadow people clad in dark uh, garb with usually, you know, with some kind of uh, a cover over their head, a shroud or something. And I'm seeing them straight on, Art. Well, that began the avalanche. Yeah, before the Internet, Art Bell was feeding the loons. And um, I guess someone's got to. I always felt bad. I would listen to his callers, and I think some of these people are really uh, disturbed and need help. And maybe instead of, you know, goading them and, and bringing them along and, and letting them buy into this stuff more and more, someone should be helping those people. But it made for entertaining radio, and a lot of people enjoyed him. Anyway, he passed away at 72, although many people are saying, did he? Or did the aliens have something to do with it? Or as you can imagine, the conspiracies abound in the passing of Art Bell. I'm going to go out on a limb and say he probably just died. He was killed by the shadow people. And finally, let's take a look and see who was born on this day, April 16th, Ellen Barkin, great actress. Boy, is she terrific. Cannot wait for Animal Kingdom to come back on TNT. I love that show so much. Jimmy Osmond of the Sing and Dance and Osmond family is 55. David Perner of Soul Asylum is 54. Comedian actor Martin Lawrence turns 53. Peter Billingsley, Little Ralphie from A Christmas Story. Later went on to be a very successful director and producer. He is 47 years old today. Sadie Sink from Stranger Things is 16 years old. And John Cryer. My buddy John, you heard him here on The Ralph Report. We did a great series of interviews with John. He is such a nice guy. Good man. Happy birthday to John Cryer. I'm Ralph Garman. I walk the showbiz beat. Well, besides show business news, of course, there's a lot in the sports world that we need to cover. And when it needs covering, I reach out to my friend Jay Busby from Yahoo Sports. That's why we give him his own segment from time to time called What's the Buzz? What's the buzz? Tell me what's happening. What's the buzz? Jay Busby from Yahoo Sports. Thanks so much for spending some time with us, sir. What's going on in the wide world of sports besides the miserable performance from my Philadelphia Flyers yesterday, dropping another one of those dreaded pens? Yeah, what the what the hell's going on? Every every game in that series has just been one team beating the piss out of the other team, and you know no, none of them's been within four goals. Are these guys just taking haymakers at each other, or what? Well, the thing is, these guys know each other so well, and they are dreaded rivals during the regular season that I think these coaches are really good at making adjustments. So you know, you bounce back from a bad performance, you fix some things, you beat that team, then that team does the same. So I'm I'm guessing this this uh, series will go down to the wire. I think we're going to get seven seven games out of this. At least I hope. Well, here's the thing. I would be all in favor of Philly winning, but you guys have had more than enough. You got Villanova, you got the Eagles. It's an embarrassment of riches for you guys. So, so let Pittsburgh have this one. And the Sixers are playing pretty well, too. That's so right. Who That's knows right. what we'll get? Who knows what we'll get? Anyway, what else is going on in the world of sports? I wanted to talk to you about that, uh, that boxer who had the American first, the America first shorts on. Can we, yeah, can we is, talk about that a little bit? Let's let's talk about this for a moment. I, I write a lot on Yahoo, and I write all the time when I write a story. We have this kind of running joke about how long it takes to go from zero to Trump. I mean, I could write a story <laughs> about you know about a baseball player petting a kitten that wandered out onto the field, and within three comments, someone's saying something about Trump, either pro or con. Right. So this is the rare sports story where it's actually definitively about Trump or at least about one of his policies. This boxer, a fellow named Rod Salka, he's from Pennsylvania, though I'm not sure where, he wears a set of boxing shorts into the ring that says, America first, Trump, uh, obviously a Trump message. Right. And on, on the shorts, there's a brick wall. So you don't need to be, you don't need to be any kind of political scientist here to figure out what he's talking about. Yes. Not only that, 
he's fighting a Mexican dude, fighting a guy named Francisco Vargas. And uh, well, you couldn't have you, a more literal translation of politics to sports than in that ring. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And unfortunately for uh, I don't know whether uh, Mr. Salka is a right hander or not, but unfortunately for the Trump supporting majority, Salka got the piss beat out of him. So uh, yeah, it was it did not go so well for him. Uh, he was thrown. Uh, they, they had to throw in the towel. You know, just like in uh, in the Rocky movies, they threw in the towel. Didn't even make it to the sixth round. So yeah, bad news on that front. Yeah, maybe the wall he should have worried about is the wall of defense around his head. <laughs> that he should have just kept his his hands up because exactly. he t- he got pummeled by that guy. <laughs> I wonder what would have happened if he had won. I wonder, you know, Trump manages to go and tweet about everything that, that, that reflects well on him. I wonder if he had won that, whether this guy would have gotten some kind of shout out. But clearly. Oh, of course he would have. Trump would be like, unbelievable victory once again, making boxing great again or something. We would have gotten some tweet out of him for sure. <laughs> yeah, but uh, it didn't happen. So, yeah, Mr. Salka may want to go with the uh have you seen have you heard about this wrestler i'm, I'm free associating here but there's a wrestler and i forget his name and it, it, but he's something like the the you know the, the far right or the far left liberal or something like that he wrestles and he goes to conservative towns and he he preaches like liberalism and he gets people all pissed off and he manages to beat people left and right by by just preaching you know vote for hillary and that kind of nonsense <laughs> that's genius the ultimate bad guy in wrestling exactly so yeah this guy didn't work out so well for him how about the uh, the announcer who was talking about Russell Westbrook the other day and got into some trouble? Yeah, this is another story where you know we've, we we try to focus on the games, we try to focus on what's happening, and then and then something like this comes along. And uh, this is a, a fellow named by the name of uh, Brian Davis, who was uh, the announcer for the Oklahoma City Thunder, and he was very very proud, as Oklahoma City should be. Of Russell Westbrook, second straight year of averaging a triple double, unbelievably good basketball player. Well, he's in the middle of, of this run, of finishing up his final regular season game, and, and Davis says that uh, Westbrook is playing out of his cotton picking mind. Yeah. Now, that's a phrase that that you know, as you and I know, you heard a lot back in the olden days, but uh, you don't have to think too hard to find the, the the origins of this one, do you? No, no. It, and it's funny because it has lost its that that significance, that meaning, just from repeated usage over the years. Where cotton pick in mind just means like you're crazy. Yeah. But if you if you really just look at the very words you're saying, it's obviously got a derivative from slave days. Yes, yes. Well, this is a, a good question to pose to you because you've got experience with this. You, you're on the mic. He's obviously he's enjoying the flow of the game. He's going back and forth. All of a sudden, it jumps out of his mouth. Have, have you ever had anything like that? Have you been in a room when that's happened? All the time. I was just <laughs> talking about it yesterday. That when you're when you're talking extemporaneously and you're just saying stuff off the cuff and you're trying to be entertaining and talk of whatever comes out of your out of your mouth, eventually you're going to fuck it up and and yeah. something is going to be said that offends someone someplace. And I think that's the case in Davis's case. Yeah, yeah. You want to hear the worst one that I've ever heard of of this? And I've got to stress that this is not me saying this. This is not Ralph saying this. This is a quote from back in the 1980s. There was a basketball player, a guy named John Crotty, who played for the University of Virginia, okay? And in the midst of an NBA game, again, this is not me saying this, the announcer for the Miami Heat goes, it's from UEA. That's a school founded by Thomas Jefferson. I don't know how good Thomas Jefferson was at basketball, but I think some of his slaves could probably play pretty well. Oh, my Lord. That is the God's honest truth. So, uh, yeah, I will not identify the announcer because it doesn't need to be. But, ooh, man, man. That's, that's, that's one of those uh, fired before the end of the quarter kinds of things. And that's more than just a, a, just a, a misspoke situation right. that is full-blown stupidity yeah that's where you're working your way up to it and you, and you, you can't pull the eject button fast enough yeah i mean i and i i think davis he got suspended right he lost right. his, his so, job for a game yeah just for a game and, just and for a game. it's you know it's interesting because a lot of people pushed back on this and said oh cotton picking just means you know it's he's out of his, his ridiculous mind out, out of his ever-loving mind you could have said exactly yeah. but you know there, there are lines and at some point you know, it's going to take a while, but at some point we're going to figure out that, that those lines are and, and cotton picking falls on the far side of one of those lines at this point. And even Davis publicly apologized. He wasn't trying to support what he said. He realized he screwed up. Right. Right. And, and I think the point is, and it's sad that this guy has to take the heat, but phrases like that that have their 
origins in you know racist mentality they have to go away we have to learn to uh, to extract them from our vernacular and not use them anymore and this is how you learn because you remember oh that guy just got punished for that so i'm not going to say it either yeah yeah maybe not everything that your grandmother said around the uh around the dinner table is the best thing to repeat at this point in 2018 i think that's a great rule of thumb to live by in general <laughs> don't say anything old people say in general. exactly all right i never thought these words would leave my lips because I am not a fan. You know, I think it's not a sport. But let's talk golf for a minute. Yes, yes. Only because something actually interesting in golf happened, in my opinion. <laughs> this was ridiculous, man. I was actually at uh, the Masters. I should, I should have sent you a, a Masters uh, uh, golf shirt to wear around. Uh, I'm all good. I'm all good with that stuff. <laughs> Thanks so sad. much. Thanks, guys. Anyway, uh, there's a guy named Kelly Kraft, okay? And, and if you're not familiar with how golf works, it's a four-day tournament. Uh, Friday is cut day, which means you've got to be in the top whatever they designate, usually around the top 75. And if you don't make the cut, if your score is not within that, that level, boom, you go home, no money, nothing. You're out the door. And, and for a lot of these pros, that means you know, you're laying out your own travel. So it's very important to make the cut, to get below that number. Kelly Kraft is playing, and he goes – he's on the 14th hole, so he's getting close to the end of the – there's 18 holes in golf. He tees off, and he hits a bird in flight. And the water dropped, the ball dropped straight down into the water. Bird flies off. Apparently the bird was okay. But uh, he ended up missing the cut by a stroke. So he goes home <laughs> without, without a paycheck and because of this stupid friggin' bird. So, yeah, he was upset. He tried to, to make a protest to the golf uh, officials. And, and golf rules are why people like you hate golf. They're ridiculous. It's like, it's like <laughs> trying to deal with the IRS. You know, it's, just, it's, it's awful and it's absurd. And they said, oh, no. It's sorry, you you could you should have planned for that. Too bad. Sure, and natural that, hazard, right? Exactly, exactly. Too you know, sorry. And then and then PETA goes and piles on the poor guy, you know, for saying, yeah, you should have should have played a little better on those last few holes there, son. So uh, it was a it was a rough afternoon for for Kelly Kraft, but not as rough. Do you remember when uh, Randy Johnson, the pitcher, blew up a bird? Yes. A, yeah, this it went a little better for this board than that I one. The, I remember it just feathers everywhere. That was brutal. Yeah, yeah. So it was uh, it was not a good scene for Kelly Kraft, but hey, it made golf interesting for uh, for a lot of uh, the American public. And that's a literal birdie, right? Isn't that what they isn't that when, they, when you score? <laughs> hey, hey, you zing! <laughs> you need sound effects there. <laughs> Before I go, as yes. as a fight fan, I'm a guy who loves the the, the sweet science. I got to say, apparently, from what I'm reading on Yahoo Sports, the best fights. Going in sports these days are now in baseball. Is yeah. that true? Oh man! Well, you know, baseball. What's happening? Just, They're just breaking out left and right. It was amazing. But this, this baseball fights are usually this kind of deal where the batter will go and charge the pitcher, and and the batter is kind of secretly hoping that he gets caught before he gets to the pitcher. There's a lot. There's a lot of hold me back, hold me back, you know. <laughs> and, and there's none of that stuff. But there were two fights. There was first the Rockies and the Padres, and then the and then the uh, Red Sox and the Yankees. And these had some punches thrown, man. And these got serious. So it was uh, it was an interesting kind of confluence that folk and baseball season just started. So I'm not sure why these guys are so pissed off already. It's only been going a couple of weeks. It's not like the middle of the summer. So it's, it's like any of us when we have to go back to work, Buzz. Nobody wants to true. be there. Everybody's in a bad mood. They'd rather be on vacation. So everybody's cranky. Yeah, oh, geez, I can see that. The best one of these two, my, my more favorite one, was the uh, the Rockies and the Padres. This pitcher, Louis Perdomo, goes and hits Nolan Arenado of the Rockies. And Arenado just tracks on this guy like a missile. And, and the poor pitcher, he's the pitcher's up there. He's throwing – he's not the biggest guy on the team, rarely. I mean, he's, he's, he's got an arm, but that's about it. And the poor pitcher slings his glove at him to try to keep him away. And this guy is just hunting him down, it, just just like a, a dog with prey and, and caught up to him soon enough. And then and then uh, both benches empty, both bullpens emptied. It was, it was great fun. It made baseball a lot more enjoyable. I, I agree. I'm all for hitting birds and golf and yeah, fighting in baseball. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> I love it. Buzz, thanks for spending some time with us today. As always, it's always a joy to hang out with you, and we'll talk to you again soon, all right? I look forward to it. Take care, brother. And now it's time for this week's special guest, who is um, one of my favorites. I was lucky enough to work with this man once, and um, I, I remember it as one of my favorite experiences. And it, it started a friendship that we still enjoy to this day. His name is David Shore. And he was the creator of the critically acclaimed series House MD, starring Hugh Laurie. One of my favorite television shows ever. That was appointment television for me. Never missed an episode. And I would uh, be very vocal and open about that on the radio to the point where David Shore allowed me to come in and audition for a role for that show. And I got it. I played a character called Bobby. 
on that show. It was, he was a uh, he was a drunken, uh, sullen mess. <laughs> I couldn't rem- I couldn't for the life of me figure out how I got that role. Um, anyway, so that was my introduction to David Shore, and uh, we've been friends ever since. He now has a show called The Good Doctor on television, which is also great. But also created recently Battle Creek and Sneaky Pete, a bunch of great television. He's an Emmy Award winner, but he's also very funny and very smart. And this interview is really good. And so in the first section, we talk about his life in Toronto. He's a Canadian. About him being a lawyer. He went to law school. And about the balls it took for him to throw away his career as a lawyer and just pitch it all and move to Los Angeles, sight unseen, to start his career as a television writer. It's a great story about having the guts to pursue your dreams. And we talk about all of his work, but this is the kickoff, the first part of my interview with the great David Shore. I am here with one of the television greats. Just ask him. He will tell you that he is a powerhouse in this business. So much successful television and also one of the nicest guys in show business. And those don't usually go hand in hand, but you have to remember, you, don't, you have to factor in. Canadian. That's the difference. David Shore. I, I, I should probably. I'm, I'm trying name. to. <laughs> David Shore. I'm trying the, to reconcile all those things. I don't like to to talk about it, but yes, I am Canadian and a television great. <laughs> David, first of all, congratulations on the second season of The Good Doctor, which is a terrific show. Uh, was there any hesitation on your part to get back into episodic medical drama after the success you had with House? Yeah, not like I, w- I wasn't like going, no, I'm never going to do medicine again. But I was going, I was saying the exact same statement I just said so sternly, but I was saying it more quietly. <laughs> it was more subtle than what I just portrayed. <laughs> not a professional actor, but I'll go for it. Mm-hmm. It was more like, nah, I don't think I want to yeah. get back into medical stuff. And then I saw this Korean format that happened to be a medical show, and I kind of fell in love with it and said I wanted to do it. Let's get started at the beginning. Um, London, Ontario? Is that your home? Very good. Yeah. Very good. I did my research. Yeah, wow. Speaking of research, you know, I'm familiar with your career, so I didn't have to do much. But, you know, before I do any of these things, I'll peruse an IMDb page or something just to get an overview. And I saw a credit that jumped out at me that I may spend just the next hour talking I, about. I may know what you're going for here. Were you indeed boy eating crackers in meatballs? Proudly, yes. That was me. That was me. I I'm was... actually, I'm not just boy eating crackers. I'm also lifeguard in background and boy dancing. I'm, I'm in that wow. movie three times. I didn't know you multiple roles. I don't, you know what? It was a little bit of a uh, Jerry Lewis... <laughs> Eddie Murphy kind of thing. Gotcha. Extensive prosthetic makeup just <laughs> yeah. to make you different characters. Oh, I find I just, it wasn't even, the makeup wasn't necessary. It was more, I just, I just would You're a chameleon. step into a You're role. You're a chameleon. Yeah. yeah. No, I, was, you... I was attending the summer camp where they were filming that oh, movie. Oh, wow. And um, the boy eating crackers happened in an interesting way. <laughs> please, please got illuminate us. Um, it was it was a rainy day and um, I, I was on staff and I ignored my camp me and my co-counselor we just knew they were there was nothing going on we knew they were filming in one building and we just wandered in and nobody stopped us and then the director i think it was the director might have been the first ad looking back somebody looked at the two of us and said you stay there you come here pointing at me saying come here and i guess they thought i was on the film crew and he stuck me in the background for That's so funny for the f- to eat crackers, and I learned a valuable lesson about filmmaking, which was they're going to do a lot of takes. Don't eat the crackers every time. <laughs> <laughs> Don't overdo it with the crackers. So pace you your, were pace yourself. A star was born. They saw your potential right there and just plucked you <laughs> out of obscurity. Just, it was, it's a little bit of the what the Lana Turner story. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Instead yeah. of a drugstore, yeah. it was a summer camp, and yes. you were given the crackers. Exactly. Not everybody got the crackers. No, no. And uh, had it been somebody else, they'd be sitting here talking to you right now. I firmly believe it. Uh, Ivan Reitman directed that, right? Yeah. Yeah. And Bill Murray, of course. I mean, it's Bill one of my favorites. That movie, one of the movies that changed my life, because I remember seeing that. I mean, of course, Bill Murray was on Saturday Night Live at the time, but I saw that movie and I was like, this is a movie star. This guy is something special. And I remember just, I had an opportunity that he won't remember, but like every every now and again, he would cross paths with somebody at camp. I cross paths with him and I 
chatted with them. It was more he was chatting with one of the campers and just being funny and annoying her as he shook her hand. She came up to shake his hand, and he shook her hand and then just kept walking while continuing to shake her hand and cross the entire camp that way. That's funny. He was He was a funny man. He was, yeah, you kind of knew right then. Now, as a kid, is this something that changes your life? Do you say, I'm going to get into show business now because I was boy-eating crackers? No. 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 That was a few years. I... So you just went about your business. What was family life like for you in, in London, Ontario? Just a standard uh, childhood? Standard cookie-cutter cookie childhood. Cutter childhood. Yes. Uh, no, it was, it was a nice childhood. Um, it's a nice place to grow up, I suppose. And then I got out of there as soon as I possibly could. <laughs> what was the dream back then? If it wasn't show business, what were your plans? Uh, what did you want to do? I wanted Hockey to... Hockey player? I'm I want guessing because Canada, you know? Yeah, that would have been nice. I did wanted you play? to play baseball. I played a little hockey, still play a little hockey, played a little baseball. I wasn't a good athlete. I just liked playing. Um... <laughs> But I wanted to be—I wanted to be a lawyer from the time I was twelve until the second week of law school. <laughs> it's not the first time I've given that line. That is not a. <laughs> well, it's well delivered. Yeah, I can you. see why they plucked you out of obscurity <laughs> yeah. on that set. Um, but it was true, actually. Why, well, why did you want to be a lawyer at twelve? What kid wants to be a lawyer? Um, it, yeah, no, it's not—it's uh, not a Hollywood. Story. Well, I—I read—I read F. Lee Bailey's *The Defense Never Rests*, and I said I want to do this. Wow. I was inspired by... Did you romanticize that perhaps a little bit? It could be. Mm. That is possible. Yeah. Looking back, I hadn't thought of that. But. I always said in my life, I said, I, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a private detective. Yeah. But then I realized I didn't really... I wanted to be James Garner playing a private detective on the Rockford Files. I mean, that's, that's what I was watching, saying, that looks like the greatest thing ever. But then I realized I didn't want to be a private detective at all. Well, I don't know if that was intended to be a segue, but we're flashing forward far, far, far into my career but i as you may know i tried to redevelop rockford files i remember i reached out to you when that was happening saying don't fuck this up i fucked because it up it's important to um me. in the process i met with a private detective to to find out what they do and right. look for interesting stories and the guy proceeded to tell me really really boring stories of what he does he did absolutely nothing interesting that's and what I, I always heard a lot of sitting outside of buildings and stuff yeah yeah, yeah. and it, finally i said was there anything that happened to you that was interesting he goes oh there was this one time where we were following this guy who was a guy i think he was a cheating spouse or something like that and we realized he might have killed somebody and i went "Ooh, that's good what did you do and he said we called the police <laughs> We brought in the real professionals. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> That's not helpful to me. I could have done me. that. I don't, <laughs> have, I don't have a trench coat and a fedora. <laughs> yes. That's so funny. Yeah, I found out after the fact, too, that private detective work is pain, painfully boring and, and largely just taking pictures of people. And most of them don't even carry guns, and there's no real excitement in the business. Anymore. Unfortunately, no. Um, so you're 12 years old. You're well on your way to being or a lawyer. Or perhaps fortunately, no, for <laughs> yes, humanity. Right. But. You're 12 years old. You're on your way to becoming a lawyer. You get to law school. The second week is when you decided that it wasn't going to work out for you? Basically. But you yeah. stuck with it, though. I stuck with it. I didn't work very hard. My attitude became, if they fail me, they fail me. And if they don't, I'll see what being an actual lawyer is like. Right. And they didn't fail me, and I practiced law for almost six years. Wow. Yeah. What kind of uh, law was this, it? I think this is where we're going to get into the meat of this discussion. I think this is what people want to hear about. Is, uh, I'm just curious. Re rezoning work was the oh, last couple of years. Rezoning yeah, work. No, well, you, you wanted, go in the sexy part of the if law. Your, if your kitchen was maybe going to be <laughs> six inches close, too close to your lot line, I was your man. Uh, um, <laughs> you came in on the white horse and saved the day. That's right. It was um, a, lot yeah, of fences, I, a lot of fence discussion. Of, there was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> that's the sort of stuff I did the last couple of years of my wow. practice. It was corporate, general corporate stuff. I was actually in, it was actually at a good place for me. It was a small firm. We actually got interest in cases. If I wasn't going to find that place interesting, then I wasn't going to find law. Was this in Toronto? Or? Yeah, I started in London, but then yeah, I was in Toronto the last few years. So then how do you make the leap of saying, all right, I don't want to deal with zoning anymore. I think I'll write television. It's crazy, isn't it? It's uh, kind of a leap. Yeah. Um, I went, well, the smart move, I guess, is to write, I guess. Is <laughs> yes, to, is sure. To spend some time writing. If you want to write, maybe you should write. Right. But to think that you could do it and make a living at it professionally. That but I, you see, I wasn't even, no, but 
the smart thing would have been to come home at the end of the day, write, and on weekends, write, and see if I had any acumen. Right. I didn't do that. You didn't. I, I would come home late and tired, and the last thing I wanted to do was more, quote, work. Um, and it, it felt like that even then. Um, and I finally decided if I'm... So it's a... Th- I could have thought to myself, well, clearly, David, as I think to myself using my name, <laughs> I just use my first name because I know my last name. Um, clearly, David, you don't really want to be a writer. I didn't think that. I thought, yeah, you want to be a writer, you just don't have the discipline to do it. And so I decided if I'm going to do it, I'm going to have to throw myself in the deep end of the pool. I'm going to have to force myself to do it. So I quit. And I gave four months notice and said, I'm, I'm, I'm going to quit and move to L.A. and try and be a writer. I may be back in a couple of years, guys. You know, but That's balls. Um or dumb, one or the other. Or yeah, or both. I, there was an awareness. Thank you. I, that's that's a good version of it. I I also think there was an awareness that if I fell flat on my face, I would come back to law in two or three years, and five years after that, it would just be a funny story about me living in in an apartment in Hollywood for two years. Right. Um. So. But before I, that decision, where does the urge get from? Did you, did you just gradually start to realize? I had, were you a TV fan or something? I was a and, big TV and you fan. Said, well, I was I, I was the that? kid that you know my my aunt and I'm sure many other people were worried that my parents were raising me badly because I just spent all day long watching TV. Right. And so there was always a love for it. Yeah. And then you thought I'm, I'm going to give this a shot. Yeah. And you know I had done. I had done a tiny little bit of stand-up when I was in law school. Aha. Uh-huh. See, yeah. I did not know this. Very, very little. But I did that. I, I dabbled in that. I I thought I was kind of funny. And as a result, I'm writing <laughs> one-hour dramas. <laughs> um, I um, And I wrote, I wrote for the school paper, uh, which was really just a comedy rag myself. And one of my writers who wrote with me on House and the Good Doctor uh, went to law school with me. And he, oh, wow. he wrote on that paper with me. We, the two of us basically, and a third guy basically just wrote the whole thing. It wasn't a real newspaper. <laughs> um, and I had a friend also, another friend from law school who write, during, even during law school was going, I'm moving to L.A. to be a writer. And that just seemed, that just seemed foreign until he had said that. We're going to have more with David Shore all week long. Also coming up this week, another class at Ralph's Sex University. We're going to be talking about money, how you can make your money work for you. Also, speaking of money. What do you do when you're dead? You want to make sure your family gets your money? How about estate planning? We will talk about that. All the new movies coming out this weekend, we're going to cover that and so much more all week long. And if you're listening to today's episode and you haven't signed up yet to become a full-time member of the Garmy, why don't you go do it now? You can go to patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash The Ralph Report. And that way you won't miss an episode of The Ralph Report. Thanks so much for spending some time with me today. I look forward to speaking to most of you tomorrow. I love you. I mean it. Bye.